trying to disguise yourself as a worker bee. That's you trying to blend in with hive. But you're not a worker bee. You're a renegade killer bee. Killer bee. Killer bee. Viceberg Slim. I will chop your heads off! Welcome to In Broad Daylight, a solo podcast with your host, Adam Todd Brown. Hey, everybody. Welcome to In Broad Daylight. I'm your host, Adam Todd Brown. Can you tell from my voice that it's early in the morning? Can you tell from my voice that I have not had breakfast yet? I'm burning extra calories recording the podcast that way. It's called fasting cardio. Look it up. I don't know if that's even what it's called. Anna Valenzuela just tweeted something about that last night, and it's stuck in my head. Anyway, welcome back. It's been a while since you've been here. I don't know if you realize it, but I've been recording new episodes of this every single week and releasing them. It's you who's been missing them. I don't know how it happened. Try to keep it together going forward. Hey, just joking, everybody. I did do one of these just kind of randomly after I hadn't been doing them for a while, and I was like, I'm back on track, and then there wasn't another one for like another month. But we're finally settled in to the new studio. The dog is here somewhere listening to me talk to no one, probably weirding her out a whole lot. That's not true. I think our dogs think about us a lot less than we actually imagine they do. But we'll never know. This isn't a science podcast. I am here to talk about the ticks. This is a Lyme disease podcast. Just joking, ticks is short for politics. Saves me time when I talk. So anyway, what are we talking about today? We, meaning me, and you. You can't respond. We can't interact. I don't live stream this because it would be painful to watch. I'm good at editing a podcast, so it sounds very smooth. But there is a lot of crying and push-ups and blood involved in recording these solo podcasts. That's why I had to take time off. Also, what's been happening in the world that we needed to talk about? I would argue nothing. But now we finally have politics news to discuss, to debate about, to opine on. Up first, let's go back in time. Apprenons le cha-cha-cha. Remember on the original version of Unpopular Opinion back in 2013 and 2014 when we used to do segments like this? This one was called Grave Dancing. And that's where that whole thing started. It's a segment about people or things that have passed away recently. And this week, that thing that has passed away is Sarah Huckabee Sanders time as White House spokesperson. She's not dead. It's not that. We're just celebrating the fact that she's not uh, she's not in office anymore, which is probably a good thing, but not really. But yeah, America's Trump stand in chief, leaving her job at the end of the month. Trump revealed on Thursday that Shuckenders is leaving. He on Twitter called her, and this is a quote, a very special person with extraordinary talents 
who has done an incredible job. Here's the thing. I actually agree with that. Not that she's been a great White House spokesperson. In that regard, her main talent is just consistently never telling us anything we want or need to hear. But that's what made her a great spokesperson for Trump. It wasn't just that she was a liar. She was a stone-faced liar. Remember Sean Spicer? That guy was a fucking basket case. And it was so very obvious when he was lying to America because he'd get so goddamn flustered. He'd start sweating. He'd turn red. Under no circumstances was Sean Spicer ever able to keep it cool when people started hitting him with tough questions. And they should have, the administration should have seen that coming. Like, no one who carries a years-long grudge against Dippin' Dots should be trusted under pressure at all. They really are the future of ice cream, Spicer. Accept it. But we didn't get any of that with Sarah Huckabee Sanders. She was unflappable. It's hard to get a read on when a person's lying if you aren't sure which eye you should be making contact with. <laughs> oh, God damn, that was mean. But hey, so was she. And all that stuff about her being good at her job is clearly just me saying she's a good liar. As for her actually being good at her job, she didn't even do her job. There hasn't been a White House press briefing for months. 94 days, actually, at last count. We need science to weigh in again and update that since they came up with that 94-day figure. Hopefully, they'll deliver that by the end of the week. But her leaving this job doesn't at all mean she's going away, which would be, I think, what America would prefer and what America needs. But there's more to Trump's tweet about this. He also added, she's going home to the great state of Arkansas. I hope she decides to run for governor of Arkansas. She would be fantastic. Sarah, thank you for a job well done. I wouldn't be at all surprised if that video of Mike Huckabee playing a corn song with head from the band Corn. Have you seen this video? Let's start playing it right now. That is former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee on the bass. And I feel like it's no coincidence that Sarah Huckabee Sanders is making this announcement. Trump is putting it in America's ear that maybe she'll be the next governor of Arkansas. And now here comes Mike Huckabee with a viral clip of him playing bass with the guy who freaked out and decided to be super religious for a while and leave corn. But now he's back in corn because being super religious doesn't pay the bills unless you're someone like Mike Huckabee. And if you're if you're still I, I assume you're still listening to the corn song playing in the background because I'm still talking and uh, I have just a blind faith kind of thing if nothing else. But here's the thing that bothers me about what you're hearing right now. As someone who is fresh off of recording an entire season of podcast episodes about the band Corn, this video makes me very angry because that is not what the bass sounds like in a Corn song. I'm not sure Fieldy, who is their bass player, I don't know if he even tunes his bass strings. I think he just tapes them to the neck of the guitar. Like that clicking noise you hear in every corn song, that's the bass. They don't have a click machine 
that someone plays on stage. It's not the drummer inadvertently tapping the metal part of his drums when he hits. I don't play drums. It doesn't matter. That That's the bass. And Mike Huckabee wasn't doing any of that shit. He wasn't staring off into space like there was a slow motion bird flying through the room. It wasn't new metal at all. Get it right, you human trash compactor. Also, I hope your daughter never becomes governor. Anyway, what should we talk about next? I'm going to be honest. I'm kind of sad we won't get a chance to hear Sarah Huckabee Sanders spin this next story. Here's the headline. Oklahoma base set for migrant site was World War II internment camp. That's the name of an article on APnews.com by Adam Kealoa Kazi. It's a pretty cool name. The base in question here is Fort Sill, which is near Lawton, Oklahoma. Who's been? Let me know in the comments. The Office of Refugee Resettlement said recently that it plans to house up to 1,400 migrant children there. And just housing migrant children in camps in the first place is just a thing that sounds very unsavory. And unfortunately, it's it's another in the long line of things that when you hear it and when you read these headlines, it sounds like the Trump administration run amok. And of course it is to some extent, but also this is another one of those horrific immigration policies that started under Obama. He used this same facility, Fort Sill in Oklahoma, to house migrant children in 2014. I've talked about before the the weird, there's kind of a long legal battle behind detaining migrant children and whether it's okay to separate them from their families, whether it's the better thing to do to separate them from their families so they don't all get deported at once without the kids being able to have their cases heard separately. It's a whole crazy thing, but it's getting worse under Trump, which is honestly a thing we should have seen coming because it got worse under Obama and we didn't say anything about it. So here we are now, ready to put more migrant children in Fort Sill. And adding to the controversy here, Fort Sill has, in the past, also been used as an internment camp for Japanese Americans during World War II. As the headline of the article implied, I realize now, Tom Ikeda, executive director of Densho, an organization that documents the history of the United States internment of Japanese people, refers to Fort Sill as, quote, a place layered in trauma. That's from the AP News article. He also points out that Fort Sill has been used previously as a boarding school for Native American children and a prisoner of war camp for Apache tribal members. This is a quote. Sites like this need to be permanently closed, not recycled to inflict more harm. That is a thing I agree with. And this is a problem that is going to get significantly worse before it gets better. Here's a... I would argue a shocking number. In May, border agents apprehended 11,507 children traveling alone, arriving largely from Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. Now, is that a crisis? It sure is. Children showing up anywhere alone is a crisis. Kids require accompaniment. 
if a kid just walked into the studio right now and said that their legal guardian was in fucking Pasadena, I'd probably have a panic attack. This is thousands of kids arriving alone from thousands of miles away. So, of course, it's a crisis. But that absolutely does not mean we need to put them in concentration camps. There are other alternatives that could be explored for housing people. How is detention camps your go-to for housing people? That's inhumane and cruel and horrifying. And it's, I feel like, almost kind of losing popularity when it comes to things the mainstream media wants to report on. There's so much to cover. How do we, I don't, we need more, more networks. We need more television. That's what we need, more television. We need more television in this country. Anyway, what I'm getting at is putting these kids in kid prison until we can figure out how to send them back to the violence they were fleeing and hoping they don't die during that time in our custody. That is a heinous solution. And if you support it, I'm sorry, you're a heinous person. But you see, a lot of heinous people will support this. Heinous people like Iowa Republican Representative Steve King. You know the name. He just introduced a piece of legislation called the Diamond and Silk Act. What does that do? It takes money from sanctuary cities and reallocates it to help veterans and homeless people. Sounds like classic Steve. Am I right? But what's with the name, you might be asking? Well, Diamond and Silk are a pair of conservative YouTube personalities. The legislation came as a result of discussions that Steve King had with Diamond and Silk about immigration policy earlier this year. And he's previously invited them to testify at a House hearing about censorship of conservatives on social media. And in the case of Diamond and Silk, they aren't just conservative voices. They're black conservative voices. I know a lot of us on the left like to pretend that those voices only exist when Kanye West goes off his medication. But I implore you to understand that could not be further from the truth. Black people are not a monolith. They're people, just like all other people are people. We're all different, and we do different things sometimes. And please don't get complacent and think, well, every person of color is going to vote Democrat because never Trump. That's just not the case. And I feel like I'm beating a dead horse at this point, but I can't stress enough that we shouldn't discount the idea that Trump's immigration plans are all building up to a push to win lots and lots of black votes. He said, I'm going to win 95% of the black vote in 2020. That is an audacious statement that not once did anyone ever look at him over and go, why do you say that? Probably a question worth asking, maybe even still. Hit him up. See if, does anyone want to ask if he still thinks he's going to get that many, that high of a percentage of the black vote in 2020? If he says yes, ask why. See what he says. Give it a shot, media. Do your job. I can 100% envision a world where, in the very near future, the immigration debate will become a question of, why are we so worried about kids living in violence and poverty in other countries when kids are living in those conditions in this country right now and have been for decades? 
is anyone ready to have that argument? Because that's what the argument's going to be when all of this anti-immigration stuff, when it all culminates in a plan to bring jobs and opportunity to black people in the United States, which for the record is a thing that absolutely should be done. No one's I'm I'm not anyway. I'm sure other people are. I'm sure lots of people are saying this, but something needs to be done to address the conditions and situations that a lot of people are living under in this country. That's not even open for debate. What's open for debate is if the solution is to just deport millions of people and give their shit to someone else. When in reality, there's enough space in the United States for all of us. And there's enough money to create opportunities for all of us. The people who are here now, we have room for them. Look around. You have room. We're not living in pods like the Matrix. We have space to move around and do shit. So the debate isn't that there are people in this country who deserve more attention from the elected officials of this country, to put it fucking mildly. That's not the debate. The debate is what to do about it. And I promise you, by 2020, Trump's proposal for doing something about it will be, we need to fix illegal immigration because it impacts black people the most. And I I wholeheartedly believe no one on the left, or at least no one who's going to be making... 2020 campaign decisions all the time when I say stuff like nobody on the left there's always someone in the comments who's like I'm thinking about it all right but no one's voting for you you get what I'm fucking saying I don't think anyone who's making election related decisions for 2020 ever thinks that the discourse around Trump's immigration policy could ever come to that like at that point it's basically a world where not supporting Trump's immigration policy gets you labeled as a racist. Because when you when you talk about kids coming here from El Salvador, Guatemala, you're talking about kids who are fleeing abject poverty and violence in their home country. And the argument is always, well, we can't send them back because of the poverty and the violence. So if Trump puts forth an immigration plan that says, oh yeah, we can, and not only that, we also have to get dreamers and just people who are are maybe here legally, but they're not citizens. Like, this is, like, when he says America first, it's not just a slogan. Like, that means something. And I think what it's ultimately going to mean is we take an entire group of people, remove them from the country, and move an entire other group of people into all the shit that those people we deported had previously. One, that's just a massive transfer of wealth. It's some, some socialist shit. So it's it's wildly ironic that it seems like that's where Trump is probably going to go. But also at that point, if your argument is, well, we can't send kids back to the violence and poverty that they're living in now... The Trump administration, their response is going to be, well, why do you want kids living in abject poverty and violence in the United States right now who've been citizens this whole time? Why do you want them to stay where they are 
just to help people who are here, quote unquote, illegally. And that is the point where this entire immigration debate is going to flip on its fucking head. Because when it's presented as an either or kind of thing where, well, we don't have enough to help everybody. So we either have to go the extra mile for migrant kids arriving here unaccompanied or we have to do something for people living in nightmare scenarios in inner city areas all around the fucking country. At that point, the question is, well, why, why, why do you want to help the people from another country instead of helping people here? And again, the answer, the correct answer is we can help everybody, but that's not how Trump's going to present it. Trump is going to present it as we can do one or the other. Either you choose or you come up with a better plan. And I don't know that Democrats are coming up with a better plan. I don't know that Democrats are coming up with a plan, at least not one that's going to resonate the way, oh, well, if we kick people out of the country, you'll have jobs and opportunities overnight. And I get that there are flaws in that plan. It's not my plan. It's just the plan I think the Trump administration is heading toward. And things like the Diamond and Silk Act are just another indicator that we're inching closer and closer to that. Because while we're here on the left just wildly confident that no person of color would ever align themselves with a virulent racist of the likes of Steve King, we're seeing it happening right now. So I hope someone's getting ready for that argument is all. Because if the opposition is not, and the opposition is not working on some sort of plan that will bring jobs and opportunity to people who need it, and that will bring it quickly, or at least will promise to bring it quickly, almost nothing else that Democrats say in 2020 is going to matter. Or hey, maybe I'm just wrong. Who knows? Let's switch gears and talk about one of my favorite things to talk about, spies. According to a report from the Associated Press, LinkedIn, filthy with spies, just fucking brimming with them. At least that's what the various news outlets who are reporting on the story are making it out to be. But it's actually just a story about one spy. You can read it on APNews.com. It's called Experts, Spy Used AI-Generated Face to Connect with Targets by Raphael Satter. And whoever this person was, they set up a LinkedIn profile under the name Katie Jones using an AI-generated picture of a face. And if you go out to the article and look at that face close enough, you can see there are there are signs of it having been digitally altered. And they even, in the Associated Press article, they have a, I don't know, Photoshop expert, whatever expert you would contact in this situation, who examined the picture and they, they highlight all of the flaws in it. So a person looking close enough who knew what they were looking at would have been able to identify Katie Jones as a probably fake profile picture. The problem is a lot of people don't look at all when it comes to accepting LinkedIn connections, including people who work in powerful positions in the government or corporate America. What they do instead is just accept whatever connection comes their way, especially if the face attached to it is as pretty as Computer Katie. And it only takes a few high-profile people 
to accept that connection to make that page look legitimate. Then it grows exponentially from there. Here's a quote. I'm probably the worst LinkedIn user in the history of LinkedIn. I literally accept every friend request that I get. That is Paul Winfrey, former deputy director of President Trump's Domestic Policy Council. He was connected to Jones on LinkedIn. He's also currently being considered for a seat on the Federal Reserve. Comforting. Here's another quote. Instead of dispatching spies to some parking garage in the U.S. to recruit a target, it's more efficient to sit behind a computer in Shanghai and send out friend requests to 30,000 targets. That's William Evanina, director of the U.S. National Counterintelligence and Security Center. And here's the thing. Sometimes it works. That's like with any scam, the reason that scam is still carried out by people, provided it's a long-running thing, like a Nigerian phone scam, the reason those still happen is people still fall for them. I was at CVS a couple months ago, and this hero of a cashier stopped this old woman from buying Google, I think, Google Play Store gift cards. She was buying three $100 Google Play Store gift cards. And at the last minute, the cashier was like, hey, why do you need these? And the woman was like, oh, I got a phone call. And you can imagine the story from there. And the woman was like, okay, you're being scammed. I'm not going to sell you these, these cards. So these scams sometimes work. And with foreign spies using LinkedIn, it's no different. Last month, retired CIA officer Kevin Mallory was sentenced to 20 years in prison for passing secrets to China. That relationship started when he connected with a Chinese agent posing as a recruiter on LinkedIn. And to me, this really underscores one of the big problems with a bunch of old white dudes running most of the government right now. Old people don't know how to use computers. And yes, I get that that is a premise as old as the internet. And we've been laughing about it for a long time. But at this point in history, it's also a national security crisis. If you have a high-level security clearance, you should have to pass a competency test to use the internet. These baby boomer fucks who spent decades scoffing at the idea of communicating via text are now opening up our most vital government networks and secrets to foreign agents just by being old and dumb about how computers work. Like, there was that article that came out a couple weeks ago about how millennials don't have the DIY skills that baby boomers have. And thankfully, I saw so many millennials point out the obvious. If, if you're going to bring that up, don't ask a millennial for help with your computer because you don't understand computers and the world runs on computers. I'm fine with an elected official not being able to wield a fucking hammer. I don't need my representatives in government to be able to install a light fixture without consulting Angie's list first. That doesn't bother me in the slightest. But not knowing how to secure your fucking computer when you are dealing with government secrets and information? Fuck you. You should be out of a job. You should have to pass a competency test. There should be a license that comes with your high-level security clearance that you should have to obtain by passing a test 
that proves you're not going to put the entire nation in jeopardy by being a thirsty old idiot on the fucking internet. But that's never going to happen, especially not if Trump has his way. Because uh, speaking of spies, by now you've probably seen or read about Trump's insane ABC interview with George Stephanopoulos. There were a litany of highlights, but the one getting the most attention is him saying he'd have no problem accepting dirt on his opponents from a foreign power. And he also added in that interview that FBI Director Chris Wray was, and this word is a quote, wrong to suggest that the FBI needs to be notified of offers of that nature. That obviously is batshit insane all on its own. And if you think otherwise, I'm sorry, but you hate America and everything you fake patriots claim this country stands for. But it actually somehow manages to get worse. This is from a Politico.com article by Darren Samuelson and Natasha Bertrand called Trump smashed months of FBI work to thwart election interference. As it turns out, FBI Director Chris Wray, way back in 2017, set up an office whose sole task was to try and stop the kind of election interference that happened in 2016. For this article, which I encourage everyone to read, Politico interviewed nearly a dozen law enforcement veterans who all said the same thing, which is basically that what Trump said in that interview undoes all that work that Chris Ray has put in to keep our elections safe from foreign influence. And I don't think we really even needed a cavalcade of experts to tell us that part. Like, once you know this program exists and you know what Trump said, the ramifications of that statement are apparent pretty much immediately. It's just that Politico does their job and they went out and talked to experts who backed up what should be a very obvious opinion. I mean, I guess not obvious, but imagine you're Chris Ray and you've been working for two years to put this team together that's going to prevent or that is meant to prevent something like what happened here in 2016. And in the midst of all that, your boss, America's boss, goes on television and says, no, actually, I want foreign governments to interfere in our election. Imagine the situation that puts him in. As pointed out in this article, he's either going to have to publicly criticize the president and risk getting fired, or he's going to have to resign in protest, which will just go that much further toward killing his efforts to protect our elections in the future. And make no mistake, that's that's what Chris Ray is trying to do here. This is Chris Ray and the FBI saying we want to protect the election process. And then Trump follows that up by saying, well, I don't. That's a fucking catastrophe. If you're a foreign agent hoping to interfere in our elections, you now have zero fear that you'll face any negative consequences from shooting your shot at the very highest level of government. This is a crisis. Trump is a crisis. There is no bigger threat to the safety and security of this country. And again, I'm sorry, if you still support him, you're a threat too. And that's especially true if you support the idea of going to war with Iran, which it seems like that's where we're headed. Surprise, surprise. Uh, for starters, I'd like to remind you 
that a lot of you motherfuckers thought Trump was going to be some kind of isolationist dreamboat who just pull us out of all our foreign conflicts because America first. Well, he fucking lied to you. We'll be in some war within the next six months, probably within the next six weeks, probably by the time this episode comes out, and it's literally coming out hours after I record this. If you're unaware, we've already had what could be our Gulf of Tonkin moment. Two oil tankers got attacked, and we swear we have all the evidence in the world that shows Iran did it. So we're on our way. And first mustache John Bolton is pushing for it hard. Like, at this point, I would rather have Michael Bolton deciding our foreign policy. That's how crazy the Trump administration has been. Michael Bolton, not even the worst Bolton anymore. Actually, I can't get into it, but I know a couple Boltons who are worse than Michael. Michael Bolton looks great compared to every Bolton I know, and that is a recent development. Good on you, Michael Bolton. But bad on you, John Bolton. We do not need to go to war with Iran, especially because we're probably not going to win. Like, I mean, when do we win a war? What is this, the fucking 40s? But Iran isn't going to be any exception to all of our debacles in the Middle East recently. Obviously, we have a bigger military, more troops, more weapons, more everything. We, we have that advantage over Iran obviously, but we also have some disadvantages. Now, full disclosure alert, this information comes from the website express.co.uk, which isn't always the most trustworthy source, but they reference an interview with a former Air Force strategist who lays out four reasons why a war in Iran won't go well. And even if I was reading these four reasons in Breitbart, I would accept that they do sound like valid reasons why the United States might not fare so well in a conflict with Iran. One, Iran is a really big country, three to four times bigger than Iraq with a much, much larger population. Like the one of the, the plans that's being drawn up for our inevitable conflict in Iran it involves sending 120,000 troops. That's a lot of troops, but not nearly as many as we sent during the first Gulf War to a country that is three times smaller than Iran. So 120,000 troops sounds impressive, but it's not going to be enough to take that country. And one of the other reasons for that, the terrain. It's more like Afghanistan than Iraq. It is mountains. It's ringed with mountains. That means if you've ever lived in a place that is surrounded by mountains, there's a lot of places in California. I think Laguna Beach is one of them where there's mountains, there's ocean, and then there's one fucking way to get into town. And in situations like that, like imagine you're in Laguna Beach and fucking Laguna Niguel decides they're going to invade. What are you going to do to stop them from getting there? You're just going to block that one fucking street. It's really that easy. There's going to be some fighting in the air, but air combat alone doesn't win wars. If you really want to topple a regime and change things in a country, you're going to have to go in on the ground. And 
Iran is in that Laguna Beach versus Laguna Niguel situation where to get to their country, you have to go through a very narrow stretch of not terrain, water, which is the Strait of Hormuz, which makes for the third reason why war with Iran probably won't go that well. The Strait of Hormuz, really narrow, which means if nothing else, Iran can just attack anything coming through the Strait of Hormuz right from their own shores. They don't even have to go out into the water. They can just fire short-range missiles at what would basically be a bottleneck. We just launched a podcast called The 90s Sucked, and we talk about, on the first couple episodes, we talk about the first war in Iraq, the first Gulf War Operation Desert Storm. There's a moment in Operation Desert Storm that I don't think was included on the trading cards called the Highway of Death. And the Highway of Death was a moment where Saddam Hussein and his troops realized, all right, America is serious. They want us to get the fuck out of Kuwait. How about we get the fuck out of Kuwait and don't die? And we, the mighty and benevolent United States, said, no, you're still going to die. We're not going to let you retreat. We're going to murder you all. And what they did is they blocked off a stretch of highway that connected Kuwait and Iraq. That was Highway 80. And it's called the Highway of Death now because as Iraqi troops started making that exit from Kuwait, we bombed a convoy at the top of the highway, which created this massive traffic jam. And then we just sent jets in to literally bomb the traffic jam. And people that didn't die when we bombed the traffic jam, we sent people in on foot to kill whoever was still alive in their cars. Brutal, but also wildly effective. And that's sort of the situation we would be in trying to invade Iran any other way but by air. By air, we'll be fine. Again, we'll be able to drop bombs and things like that. But naval stuff, we're kind of fucked because the fourth reason laid out If nothing else, they can just block the Strait of Hormuz. Then you can't even get there. How do you get troops on the ground if you can't fucking get your boats and all your equipment to the shores to to take the ground? So, I mean, probably invade from another country, but like Saudi Arabia is definitely going to help. But it's not looking good. It's not going to be Operation Desert Storm Part 2. And I'm only saying part two because when you hear Desert Storm, you uh, associate it with a war that ended quickly. (laughs) I wonder why. This isn't going to be that. This is going to be another Afghanistan. We'll be there for a long, long time. A lot of frustrating years where we're just sending people there to die and nothing's getting done. How are we supposed to invade Venezuela under these circumstances? Get your fucking priorities in order, America. All right. Let's close on what, on the surface, seems like slightly more lighthearted news. Trump wants to paint Air Force One. That's all. He wants to change the colors to red, white, and blue. Like America blue, not North Carolina Tar Heel blue, which is what Air Force One is now for some reason. He also wants it to be bigger. Bigger wingspan, bigger cabin, bigger, huge. And again, that just sounds like Trump being Trump. Of course, he wants a bigger Air Force One, except here's the thing. He's powering ahead with all of these improvements, despite the fact that none of it will be done until 
2024. Not 2020, 2024. When, according to the law of the land, Trump should be leaving office at the latest. He should be leaving office right fucking now. But at the latest, we should only have to deal with Trump until 2024. And he assures us, this also came up in the ABC interview with George Stephanopoulos. And George Stephanopoulos rightfully asked, well, you're going to be out of office by then. You know what Trump said? He said he's not doing this for him. He's doing this for future presidents. There's your red flag. There is your red flag. Trump doesn't do shit for anyone just out of the kindness of his heart. Like, in what world is Trump that person? Where he was sitting in the Oval Office, slamming Diet Cokes, fucking snorting rails of Adderall, and just in the midst of that fucking frenzy and chaos that is his mind, he went, you know what I should do? I should redesign Air Force One so so I can leave something for the future presidents. That is not what the fuck he's thinking. He can tell you that's what he's thinking, but that's not what he's thinking. This is terrifying to me because it comes hot on the heels of him having made over the past couple months and weeks even more jokes about the idea that, you know, maybe he'll be in office 10 years. Maybe he'll take a third term. Maybe he's owed a couple extra years because of the Russia investigation. If nothing else, William Barr's counter investigation into the Russia investigation is going to lead to Trump saying he deserves a couple more years. So at that point, it makes sense that Air Force One's not going to be ready until 2024. And like, these aren't jokes. Him saying these things should be cause for concern, especially when you take into account that the new design looks a lot like Trump's personal jet. Only difference really is that that personal jet, the color scheme is more all red because Trump is a Russian operative and also Satan. But beyond that, they're very similar. Like, he is not planning to leave office for a long, long time. That should be obvious by now. And I think it's also obvious that when he does leave, it's going to be with the understanding that his kids will probably take his place. We are in for a long, long haul. Trump is not redesigning Air Force One for 2024 because he wants to be nice to the president that finally replaces him. That is one of the most absurd things Trump has ever said. I cannot stress enough, anytime Trump purports to have some sort of human emotion or feeling or thoughts about the future or well-being of another person— Something is up. And it sounds like I'm joking. That sounds like a joke. It is not a joke. I've said it so many times. I said it on the Cracked podcast. All you have to do is pay attention to Trump. Pay att- He's going to say, he'll, he'll eventually tell you everything, whether people want him to or not. And all of his jokes about being our president for 10 years or more, that's shit we should be far more worried about. And... It's something we cannot turn into another political talking point. It can't be, oh, does Trump deserve two more years? Does, should Trump be able to get a third term? No, 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 no. The minute he refuses to leave, you send in the military. Like with that, then it becomes a national crisis and we have to send the military in to settle it. That is the only answer to that debate question. 
what to do if Trump doesn't leave office peacefully, remove him with force. That's what every American should want. You should not want your system of government and your electoral system subverted by a fucking dictator. And if it is what you want, like I said earlier, you're a threat too. And I guess we'll see how it goes, America. Anyway, that is the episode for today. Uh, what do we got to plug? Come to the Backyard Show. It is July 6th. We're doing a new metal trivia with me, Andy, and Travis. There's going to be comedy. There's going to be music from countless thousands. There's going to be a live on Pops podcast. Check out our Twitter for more details about that. Tickets are available now. And I think that's all for now. I really need to go eat breakfast. All right, let's get out of here. Adam, say goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. I love you. 